Hello and welcome to the Curator Monaco 24 with me, Fernando Augusto Pacheco. This week, with this year's Eurovision final taking place, we look back at our series from the past week, meeting some of the favorites to win and those that make the day possible. We hear from the Lithuanian band The Roop, who are one of the hot favorites to win this year's Eurovision Song Contest. The scene is really strong in Lithuania. I would, you know, refrain from trying to put, you know, ourselves in music style or any other band in, in, into a music style. Plus, we speak with Sitze Bakker, executive producer of this year's show. There'll be an impressive set with all the latest technology, lots of cameras, lots of pyro, props, everything you you know about Eurovision and, and everything people love it for. All that and much, much more in the next hour here on The Curator with me, Fernando Augusto Pacheco. After a year-long break due to COVID-19, Eurovision returned in force this weekend. Here on The Curator, we will look back at our coverage of the song contest. Today, to kick things off, I head to Lithuania to meet the band The Roop with their discolicious track, Disco Tack. Let's have a listen. I can make a change and go Wherever I want to They told me maybe I'm too old But there's fire in my soul The heat is getting higher I feel that I'm on fire The world is my desire I feel that I'm on fire Yeah, yeah, I feel that sometimes there is an opinion that if you are in Eurovision, so you must be like sing Eurovision-ish song. Yeah, so it's not. It seems like it's a, a different bubble from real normal mainstream music, radio music. So we we say no to this, and we want to unite this and to show to the world that Eurovision is a good platform to show your real music and uh, and to spread the message. And one thing that I think you guys have, you're three very stylish men. I mean, I think even the looks and the kind of the sharpness of the choreography, I think it's really kind of vibrant in a way. I think it really helps. And I have to say, you guys look good in yellow. It's my favorite color as well. Yeah, really oh, great. Oh, cool. <laughs> What's the plan for these years? I mean, of course, we don't know everything, but are you guys going to Holland, the artist? You know, I know it's going to be a bit different. Perhaps the audience in the arena is not going to be fully packed like in, in previous years. But what do you guys know already about Eurovision? Yeah, we hope to reach Rotterdam. <laughs> That's it for me. You know, I just want to go on that stage to sing, to dance, feel good. This is it because it is our plan. We must be 100% prepared, ready. Yes. Yeah. ready. So now we're thinking about getting ready and be, you know, 120% prepared for the 
for our performance and deliver it. Yeah, not thinking too much about audience or things like that. That's gonna be there, that's fine. You know, the main audience will be sitting in front of TVs. Yeah, of exactly. TVs. Yeah, so we want to share our message and our music to them. I would like to ask as well, I mean, I, to be honest, I don't know much about the Lithuanian music scene, but the few artists that I know, I mean, there's it's, it's quite a strong kind of dance electronic scene. And I, I know you guys, I, I don't know how to define uh, dance rock, I don't know, whatever you guys want to uh, define yourselves, but is, is that quite strong in, in Lithuania? Because there's quite a lot of kind of DJs coming out. I mean, you guys have quite a big kind of electronic beat in the background as well. Yeah, I would say yes. This this scene is really strong. We have several uh, really great bands that are really loved and huge in Lithuania, like Solo Ensembles, for example. They are kind of a uh, dance rock, maybe more to the electronic side than, than we are. Basol, Basol, and Aidos. Yeah, and many others. You know, and, yeah, but uh, and many others. Yeah, just to answer generally, I think yeah, this scene is really strong in Lithuania. I, I don't know if we can define ourselves as as dance rock. Maybe. Yeah, I usually don't want to. I would, you know, refrain from trying to put, you know, ourselves in music style or any other band in, in, into a music style, so... You're right, I mean, it's very hard defining a band and their sound these days. I find it very confusing because, you know, there's such a mix of genres and everything. But, yes. you know, guys, I wish all the best for you because I want Lithuania to win as well. And I want to visit Lithuania for the first time. A final question, do you guys, you know, like any of the songs this year? Yes, we do. There are, there are a few, yeah. A few. <laughs> yes, Daddy Freer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Me three. <laughs> me three. <laughs> yeah. uh, what else? Uh, we. You want to name? Yeah, I'm. I myself, I'm into uh, a little bit of uh, heavier music. So Italy and, and Finland to me this year are, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the thing. <laughs> okay. So, but that's his opinion. That's my opinion. <laughs> and I also like uh, Switzerland. Oh, yeah. John Steers or, or Jorns? Should be John Steers? I don't know. I don't know. Jorns. Some say it's John. But I like. That was the group there, who are representing Lithuania in this year's Eurovision Song Contest. Besides the incredible and very stylish the group I Want Their Yellow Suits, I also had the pleasure to speak with the Maltese entry, Destiny. Her song, Jemekas, is a danceable track that is all about female empowerment. Here is Destiny with more. The song is all about female empowerment. It's all about us women supporting each other and us women knowing that we are beautiful and we should be confident in our own skin. We should believe in, our, in ourselves much more. And it's all about like 
us women knowing we can be successful if we work for our dreams. If we work hard, we can achieve and it's just, we just need to believe it. So that is Jumacast. Jumacast is all about female empowerment, but it's also a very positive song. And I know that people, the audience will feel very positive after listening to the song because it's something that makes you happy. It's a song that makes you happy. I just want the people to enjoy with me during my performance. It did make me very happy as well. And I love the French touch to it. You know, it's called yes. Jermacas, but it's saying in English. It's very Eurovision in a way, kind of this yes. languages and styles as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have experience with Eurovision. Let's be honest, you won the Junior Eurovision Song Contest, <laughs> which is quite unique. How was that experience? You know the deal. You know how to represent Malta in, on a big stage. I mean... I'm very grateful to have had previous opportunities to represent my country, to have the experience, to know what it feels like to be on a big stage and to have a big audience in front of you to perform to. So it's something very, very like special to me because I've experienced it before. And now I'm, I'll be experiencing this whole journey on a bigger scale, which gives me more excitement. <laughs> But I'm very happy to have had opportunities before. How is the Eurovision Song Contest perceived in Malta? I'm very curious about that because who knows? I mean, you might be the first Maltese winner and the event could be hosted uh, in, in your Malta, country. Um, in Malta, we are obsessed with Eurovision. We're like, we get so into it. We love Eurovision because I think it's an event that gathers people together. That's why we're so into it because we're all at each other's houses, doing these parties, judging the contest. So it's very, very big in Malta. The event is very big. People are obsessed with it. And obviously we have the opportunity to win. I mean, we will be over the moon, obviously. I mean, we've been waiting for it. So it would be a very special moment to us, not gonna lie. <laughs> But we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> well, I'm sure you will. And I, I, then I would hope to go to Malta next year as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was wondering, how, how is the Maltese music scene? I mean, because I, I know you had also experiences Here in the UK, you were part of Britain's Got Talent, which is yeah. super cool. You know, when you're growing up in Malta, which kind of music the Maltese listen? To be honest, we listen to everything. If you go to different people, we all have like our different styles. But the, this generation, my generation, we listen a lot to pop, pop music and R&B, house. It's all about that. But the older generations, they might listen to classic music, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Like, we're different. We love every type of music. We have this, our culture. We love enjoying music in Malta. Are you excited for the plans for Rotterdam? 
I'm so happy that the event is going ahead mm -hmm. this year, no matter what, you know, it's so nice. And I think it's going to be a really, really nice one because yeah, I think that all the fans, they were waiting two years, you know, to have yeah. kind of a proper a concert, song contest. Yeah. Are you rehearsing and are yes. you planning I'm so, I'm so, so busy at the moment. Like, I have no time for myself. All my time is rehearsing, 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 <laughs> practicing. <laughs> Um, but I'm really enjoying the moment and uh, I must say that when all this is over, I'm going to miss it so much because I'm really enjoying my life at the moment. I have people taking care of me. I'm always surrounded by amazing people, my team and everything. So I'm very looking forward. And the most thing about all this, the most thing I'm looking forward to is performing because I've been working so hard for it. So I can't wait to perform now. Thanks, Destiny, and what a tune. I love Jemekas. UBS is a global financial services firm with over 150 years of heritage. Built on the unique dedication of our people, we bring fresh thinking and perspective to our work. We know that it takes a marriage of intelligence and heart to create lasting value for our clients. It's about having the right ideas, of course, but also about having one of the most accomplished systems and an unrivaled network of global experts. That's why at UBS, we pride ourselves on thinking smarter to make a real difference. Tune in to The Bulletin with UBS every week for the latest insights and opinions from UBS all around the world. You are listening to The Curator, Monaco 24, with me, Fernando Augusto Pacheco. And now it's time to talk to a previous winner. In fact, the last winner of the song contest back in 2019. It's the Dutch singer-songwriter Duncan Lawrence, who won with the beautiful ballad Arcade. The winning song became a hit not only in Europe, but it charted even in the US. He told me about his future music plans and all things Eurovision. Broken heart is all that's left. We went to Eurovision with this song. And to be honest, I watched Eurovision, but I haven't written or did this song for Eurovision. I always saw Eurovision as a great platform and a chance and opportunity for me to show the world, or at least Europe, like, hey, here I am, this is Duncan, and I am a musician, and this is my song. And it just took off half a year ago on TikTok because it was used in a bunch of Harry Potter videos. So there were like fans of Harry Potter and they were using the music to put under their videos. And that's how it kind of started and that's how it spread. And that's how it grew on its own. The song has been streamed over one billion times performing Arcade. Please welcome Duncan Lawrence and Fletcher. <laughs> 
I said it at Eurovision, music first always. I think this is a, an example when it's like, people like a song and people relate to it on some sort of level, which is amazing. And it's just so amazing that that's my song and that we had two amazing journeys with it. One is Eurovision and the other is now, it's going everywhere. <laughs> I think we can safely say that that one was a hit. <laughs> and Duncan, your album is called Small Town Boy. And, and I want to know like more, more or less where you come from. I know you're of course from the Netherlands, but are you a yeah. small town boy actually in fact? Yes, I grew up in a very small town called Hellefoetsluis. Actually, I performed at Ellen and we recorded that video in Hellefoetsluis. That was Hellefoetsluis, what you see there. So it's by the water, it's really lovely, but it was also kind of boring and there wasn't a lot to do and it was very hard to, you know, chase your dreams if you're born in such a small town. You always have to look for things yourself and for me that was music but luckily we had youtube we had all sorts of things to figure things out back then so uh yeah that's that's how i got into music but i was i was a small town boy definitely and what were your kind of early musical influences in a way when you were kind of in your small town as a, as a kid because of, i presume you, you start becoming interested in music from a young age I was growing up with a lot of Elvis Presley because my grandparents listened to him all the time. I grew up with U2 Queen from my mom and my dad's side. And I developed this kind of interest for like songwriters, but also for bands, alternative bands. I think it had to do with the fact that I listened to a lot of U2 because I liked Coldplay, Snow Patrol, everything that kind of developed from that U2 kind of sound. In my opinion, <laughs> I liked so Kings of Leon, Snow Patrol, but also as I went into that, I started to listen to a bit more grungy kind of things like Nirvana, the Foo Fighters. So yeah, that was when how I grew up with a lot of rock pop music around me, and later on that kind of developed when I started singing myself and playing the piano into Sam Smith, Alex Vargas, more the singer songwriters of now. Last year has been a crazy year for I mean, everyone, but in the music yeah. world, the thing must be particularly affecting because you couldn't, you know, live, you know, there was, it was very difficult. So how was it as a musician? Because you released an album more or less in the middle of a pandemic and everything. I know yeah. things are slowly opening up, so it's changing, but was it challenging or do you manage to connect to your fans in other ways, perhaps? It was challenging, of course, because for everyone last year was challenging. It was such a, a weird year to be in and a lot was happening and we were constantly confronted with it. So there was always this like, should I do something? Should I say something? Should I like this public figure pressure? And I was like, no, everyone's going through the same. So just chill down and see what's happening. But after a few weeks in lockdown, I was like, okay, I have a lot of time. I'm done with Netflix. I'm done with everything. Let's just spend the time I have and I'm given right now to producing, to learning the guitar, to all those things that I always wanted to do but didn't have time for. So I started producing and I actually produced a couple of tracks on my own album, which was amazing. It was a really cool experience because for the first time I was not only writing melodies and 
harmonies, but also the whole production and all the instruments and everything we did, I could choose. So I really loved it. So that's how I worked towards my EP first and then my album. And to me, it was kind of a liberating process, kind of getting to know myself a little bit more and more. And I think Corona or not Corona, but lockdown really helped with that because I actually found time to dig into those things that I always wanted to. But at the same time, I felt pressure because there was an album and it was like such weird times and I didn't know what it was going to do. And I didn't know what Arcade was going to do after all this Eurovision. And then, yeah, it was crazy at the same time. But I really took this time to come back to who I am and find the core. And I still struggle sometimes with it because it's a process. But we're doing fine we're doing well and we're releasing music i'm lucky i mean i am a songwriter and a, and a performer i can release music i mean my band and my crew and the performers in this world that's the people we have to look out for a little bit because it's it's very hard these days to uh, to stay positive and to keep a positive mindset if governments constantly for the right reasons but uh keep pushing the dates when we're going to perform again and tour etc etc of course i mean you have a beautiful voice a lot of amazing songs in the album but i also quite like when you went a little bit kind of dance i think there's a song called feel something I thought, i thought that was quite a fun one as well it's just a, a way for me to do something different you know i've been growing up with a lot of electronic music around me dance music because we dutchies are very good at that like edm is our thing but I always wanted to do something with EDM and this was my way to kind of say like I can do more than just this, I can go all the way poppy, I can go all the way this and you know when you're doing a featuring you're kind of yeah forgiven a little bit more when you do something else than people are used from you. That was Duncan Lawrence, Eurovision winner from 2019. Okay, we spoke to some of the contestants, but what about the people in charge of making the event happen? Hosting an event such as the Eurovision Song Contest in the middle of a pandemic can be a logistical challenge. So I decided to speak with executive producer Sitze Bakker to tell us about the plans for this year's show. It's always challenging to host the Eurovision Song Contest. Most have the, the pleasure and the honor of doing it once in their lives. And in this case, we, uh, we were stopped in our tracks last year and got the opportunity to do it again. Obviously, under very different circumstances, uh, we had to work with various scenarios for, for a year. And uh, the last steps we're actually taking now. So it's only now, while we're actually already in, in production here in the venue, that things start to become clear and final decisions can be taken. And I think it would be such a nice example to the world as well, because, you know, a lot of people thought, you know, the pandemic was over, but still not over. And a lot of events, they, they're still having to postpone 
So I think it's a perfect example to show some positivity to the world as well that Eurovision is going ahead. A little bit different, yes, but you know, nevertheless, it's going ahead. No, exactly. And, and events tend to bring people together, mostly physically. That's a bit harder this year. But in essence, the Eurovision Song Contest is a TV show reaching 180 to 200 million people from Europe and around the world. And we hope that they are looking forward to, to something to enjoy, something to feel connected, something that is part of the usual calendar. It always happens in May. It didn't happen last year. And we're not done with this pandemic, so it's definitely not the end. But we hope that with the Eurovision Song Contest, we can start to see light at the end of the tunnel. And hopefully we'll have a bit of a, a normal summer under the circumstances. You mentioned, you know, the Eurovision is a TV show indeed. So will there be any changes? I know, of course, you can review all your all the surprises. I mean, even as a fan, I don't want to hear actually all the surprises. Uh, but how different will something be different uh, in the TV broadcast or are you guys trying to kind of basically look, look the same as the previous years? What's kind of your idea behind that? I think the general sort of aesthetics of the song contest will not be much different. There'll be an impressive set with all the latest technology, lots of cameras, lots of pyro, props, everything you you know about Eurovision and, and everything people love it for. We have gotten the permission from the authorities to welcome a small, limited audience, only seated to the shows, which we are very happy with. But it's not a standing audience. And in the last few years, you saw big crowds of people on the floor in front of the stage. We won't have that this year. So we are using the entire arena floor as the green room where the artists go and sit after their performance and, and wait for that, that nail-biting voting at the end of the show, which sort of allows us to bring the contestants a bit closer together and close to their fellow competitors on stage so that they can support each other. And we are uh, more than confident that this gives great pictures on TV and is a lot more enjoyable for them as well. And what has been the reaction, you know, in the Netherlands itself? I also have to say that I saw pictures of the King of the Netherlands was visiting the stage, which was super cool as well. Yeah, obviously, after the Netherlands won more than 40 years after its last victory, people were ecstatic, very proud to host five serious city bids from across the country. And there was a lot of enthusiasm. And then the pandemic hit, which obviously meant that people started focusing on other things and that's understandable. I think a lot of people are looking forward to to something positive, something something to enjoy, uh, something that gives hope, something that connects. What you see in society is that these days, and I think that every country, there's a lot of discussion, debate about how should we go from where we are now to opening up society again, in which order should we do it, which steps should we take first? under which conditions, when should we take those steps and what is responsible to do. And that leads to a lot of debate in politics, in society, and it creates a lot of division. And that's so unfortunate because we started this pandemic, this crisis all together, and we can only end it together as well. So I think the Eurovision Song Contest will not solve that issue but hopefully it will contribute to a, a renewed sense of, of unity and togetherness. And since I don't know if you've seen that, but you know, that just shows the power and influence of Eurovision as well. I had a chat with Duncan Lawrence uh, recently. I mean, his song Arcade 
it's been charting in the United States almost two years after it's been released. I mean, that just shows the power of Eurovision that is reaching even corners of the globe that you know that you wouldn't usually expect like the United States, for example. Yeah, we're so proud of him. He brought Eurovision back to the Netherlands after many decades. He's started a, a remarkable career. He was relatively unknown in the Netherlands before his Eurovision participation. And look at him now. He's, you know, being invited by the big talk shows in the United States. This song has been streamed over one billion times performing Arcade. Please welcome Duncan Lawrence and Fletcher. <laughs> in the Billboard chart, streamed, I think, over a billion times. We're really proud of him, and, and it shows what Eurovision can do to an artist's career, even if you're, if you're not well-known before your participation. And I really hope he continues to make great music. I think he's already done that. He will definitely share some new music during the Eurovision Song Contest this year, and I hope he'll, uh, he'll have an amazing career ahead of him. That was Sitze Barker there, executive producer of this year's Eurovision Song Contest in Rotterdam. You are with The Curator, our weekly highlights show here on Monaco 24, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. This week, it's an Eurovision special here on The Curator. You know, some people ask me why I love Eurovision so much. Well... Let's look back at the beginning of my love affair of the contest and also its historical and social importance to Europe. Hello everybody, my name is Mirka Pedrushka, me in Kazakhstan. Let's take that. What you've just heard now is just one of the reasons why I love Eurovision so much. I always enjoyed a little bit of Europop as a kid and have heard of Eurovision when I was young, living in Brazil. But the very first live Eurovision show I saw was back in 2006, when I moved to London. That was the year Lordy won. Wow, what a start for my Eurovision-obsessed life. Since then, I've been following closely all the ins and outs of the event. But it was only in 2013 that I started to go to the host cities to cover the event for Monaco. It all started in the Swedish city of Malmö, which hosted the event magnificently. All the Swedes were surprised back then. It was a sunny May and temperatures were in their mid-twenties. It was fantastic, not going to lie. Among the many excellent entries, there were the eyebrows of Lithuanian contestant Andrius Pajavis with something. If you don't know, I'm in love with you when someone dies before. It becomes untrue because of my shoes. 
the main winner was the lovely Emily de Forest with only teardrops, which I had the pleasure to interview a few years later for Monaco magazine. make fun of the event or even not enjoy it, but it's undeniable it carries an enormous importance here in Europe. It still attracts stellar TV ratings and creates a buzz every year with all its political controversies. See the Belarus entry this year who was banned for political reasons. And at times, the world can look frightfully isolationist. Eurovision is the opposite of that. Think of the winning song from Italy back in 1990, which was all about a united Europe. Also, overall, the event does have its positive influences. I mean, remember 1998, when transgender Dana International won with Diva, a slap on the faces of the backward-looking. More recently, Conchita Wurst charmed us with the bond ask, Rise Like a Phoenix. So after a break last year, the event is back. And after seeing the semi-finals, it's just so exciting to see the artists performing on the big stage. Expect incredible staging, powerful ballads and some disco wonders. My personal favorite this year so far, and it can still change, is the Roop Discotheque. Enjoy the show. For Monaco, I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. And if there is anybody out there who doubts the real-world political potence of Eurovision, is clearly unfamiliar with what transpired in Portugal back in 1974. Here is Monaco 24's Carlota Rebelo with the story of the Carnation Revolution. As far as Eurovision songs go, there are several reasons why they might become iconic. Perhaps it's all down to a catchy chorus, a drawn-out saxophone solo for no apparent reason, or even an over-the-top performance by dancers wearing a nation's traditional clothes. Yes, I am looking at you, Poland, and your butter churners in 2014. <laughs> 
But I bet that starting a revolution, which eventually leads to the fall of a fascist regime, wasn't one of the reasons at the top of your list. It's April 1974, and we're in Brighton when the 19th Eurovision Song Contest comes to a close. This is an eventful occasion. To start with, it wasn't even meant to happen in the UK. The BBC only agreed to host the event after Luxembourg, having won both previous years, refused to incur the costs of staging it yet again. Then, this is the year that the world is forever changed, and we're introduced to Sweden's most famous quartet. ABBA, who have just won with their chart-topping track, Waterloo. But for humble Portugal, this year's entry would change its history forever, even if the actual song ended up at a shared last spot with only three points. For over four decades now, Portugal had been under the Estado Novo regime, a dictatorship led by António Oliveira Salazar. By this stage, people's discontent with the authoritarian regime was palpable. There was no freedom of speech or thought. The state's political police could arrest you for conspiracy simply based on a tip and with no facts. And core issues such as ending Portugal's colonial empire and granting Angola and Mozambique their independence were all contributing to the quiet calls for democracy. But a coup wouldn't be an easy feat to achieve. Activists knew they had to get it right, as they wouldn't be a second time. Getting caught simply wasn't an option. To be sent to the political prison was the best it could happen to them. So, through a perfect alignment of factors and characters, we are in April 1974, and the military simply has had enough. Rebel captains and soldiers are organizing a coup to topple the regime and bring democracy back to Portugal. It unfolded in two stages, thanks to two secret signals played out on the national radio. The first signal came at 10.55pm on the 24th of April. One of the revolutionaries worked at the national broadcaster and was in charge of playing a very specific song at that time, which would indicate rebel captains and soldiers across the country to leave their barracks and begin the coup. They had to choose a song that wasn't suspicious. So what better than Portugal's entry to the Eurovision Song Contest? The singer Paulo de Carvalho and the song E Depois do Adeus. And so, just 18 days after the final of the Eurovision Song Contest, Portugal's entry had its chance to shine again. The second signal came at 12.20am with another song, this time telling the rebels in the military to take control of strategic positions of power across the country. The Carnation Revolution was in full motion. Hours later, the government surrendered and the fascist regime came to an end. Paulo de Carvalho's song is completely apolitical. It's a love ballad talking about the end of a relationship. So it is quite ironic that a song about a breakup leads to the fall of one of Europe's longest dictatorships. There's a lesson here, and a reminder that even if you come last in a competition, the future might have other plans for you. For Monocle 24, I'm Carlotta Rabello.
Carlotta Hebel there on how Eurovision helped, well, sort of, overthrow a dictator. UBS is a global financial services firm with over 150 years of heritage. Built on the unique dedication of our people, we bring fresh thinking and perspective to our work. We know that it takes a marriage of intelligence and heart to create lasting value for our clients. It's about having the right ideas, of course, but also about having one of the most accomplished systems and an unrivaled network of global experts. That's why at UBS, we pride ourselves on thinking smarter to make a real difference. Tune in to The Bulletin with UBS every week for the latest insights and opinions from UBS all around the world. You are with The Curator, our weekly highlight show here on Monaco 24. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco, Monaco's, may I say, Eurovision resident. Time to hear another interview I did with one of the contestants, and he clearly is a fan favorite. It's Daddy Og Gagnamanu. He's from Iceland and competes with the track 10 years. I spoke to Daddy Frere about it. In 2017 or in 2016, I wrote a song and sent it into the Icelandic competition for 2017. And it was never the plan to actually compete myself. It was just like, uh, I wanted to try to send in a song and see if it would be accepted. And then I was going to get somebody else to sing it. In the end, that didn't work out. So I decided to do it myself. And and then I got, got the group together. like. My wife, my sister, and three other friends, because you can be six people on stage. So we created this group, Dada and Gagnamagne, around Eurovision. And we landed in second place, which was like a turning point for my career. That meant that all of a sudden, people in Iceland knew who I was and I could be a professional musician. And then, yeah, we went back last year and won the outstanding competition. That didn't happen. So here we are. Here you are again. And again, was there a lot of pressure, you know, to follow up thing about things? Because it was a massive hit. I mean, people really, really loved it. It was a great song. Was there kind of a lot of pressure? Oh, my God, what I'm going to do next to have the same impact? Because I have to say, I did listen to 10 years and is amazing. It's, it's really good. And I think you did a good job. But did you feel that pressure or was it very natural, the process of creating? Um, I think it was the same pressure as I've felt when I did think about things. It's more people listening, but it still feels like kind of the same risk. I didn't feel like it had to become as popular. That's something that I don't really have any control over. So I just wrote a song that I wanted to take to Eurovision that I could feel good about competing with that would fit Dade or Magnet because we have like, this is our third song now, or the third song that I write for this fictional band. Like, I didn't write it in one sitting. It took some attempts, but I didn't feel too much pressure. What is it actually about the 10 years thing? What does it represent? It's uh, me and my wife. We've been together for 10 years. So you have a very close connection with your family because thing about things, is, is it true that it's about your daughter? Yeah. 
Uh, Daddy, tell me a bit more because, you know, I, Iceland did quite well at Eurovision, you know, a couple of years. What's the relationship between the country and Eurovision? Because, you know, I know some countries have kind of a slightly mockery vibes like here in the UK. In Sweden, they take super seriously. What's the, the relationship between Iceland and Eurovision? I'd say it's going more in the direction of Sweden. It was more uncool a few years ago at least that's my experience maybe it's just because i'm in the middle of it now that's why i'm experiencing it that way i don't know but yeah i think it's it's changing a lot and it's super popular here like everybody watches eurovision even if you don't like eurovision you have to sit alone you have to lock yourself out somehow to to not watch it because everybody is watching it on the saturday especially when the finals are happening there are eurovision parties in in basically every household I have a question for you. Of course, I really love the sound of both Think About Things in 10 years as well. You know, it's quite lovely, electropop. Was that, I mean, clearly you had some sort of music career before all those songs came out. Is it that your style kind of just good, very good electropop in a way? Yeah, it's, it's not too far from what I make usually. The sound and that is what I do, but it's more the structure of the song, how it's like to fit into those three minutes that the Eurovision that's the rules of Eurovision. It can't be longer than, than three minutes. And it also has to work as a performance. So I'm thinking about the performance as I'm structuring the song. And what's the plan? Now, I know with COVID, it's, it's quite difficult to say, but do you plan to go to Rotterdam? Do you think this year things will, will be happening? That's the plan, yeah. But we, we have already recorded backup performance in Iceland. So like that's everybody has to do that. That's competing now. If we're unable to actually go to Rotterdam, we can still have a performance. But I'm still positive that we will get to go out. But we, it's going to be different from what Eurovision is usually because we're not going to get to have too much contact, I think, with the other contestants. And there's going to be a lot of like distancing and stuff like that. So yeah, it's going to be a different Eurovision than, than everybody else has experienced. And finally, I must ask, because I think a lot of people spoke about it, those jumpers you wear, I think the songs, they're, they're lovely. Where are they from? <laughs> I can't remember what the company was that we got them from the first time. The reason for the pixelated faces, at least, is like in Eurovision, you can't play real instruments or you can't like plug them in and, and like it's all on playback, the backing track. So we wanted to have fun with that. So we, we made like fake computer instruments. And from that, we decided to to have the pixelated faces on the front and have this like nerdy aesthetic and then the color just because nobody else is using this color so we we wanted to own it Daddy Frere from Daddy Ogagnamanyu there. And, you know, their song 10 Years is another excellent Eurovision song from this year. And to end the show, of course, we're heading to the Netherlands. As you know, listeners, I do the Global Countdown every week where I look at the top five songs in a different country every week. So it's time to find out what are the Dutch listening at the moment. Let's have a listen. Tell us, what lured you to the Netherlands this week, Fernando? Well, you know what? The Netherlands, they're hosting the Eurovision Song Contest. And, and, and then I realized, I mean, what are the Dutch listening at the moment? And I have to 
spoiler alert tone. There's no Eurovision <laughs> tracks in the top oh. five. But don't worry, usually the, the tracks perhaps will be next week's charts. But it's interesting to see. I mean, it's a very international chart. And what really surprised me is there's so many different genres there as well. Uh, some surprising ones, including our number five song, which is kind of a newish cultural export from the UK, which is drill music. And, you know, it's been quite big here in the UK, the first number one track. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it took, took a while to be number one here in the charts. And that same track is number five in the Netherlands. We're going to hear it. It's interesting. I mean, I'm not a big expert on drill, <laughs> but, but let's have a listen now to Russ Millions and Tion Wayne with Body. English girl named Fiona. Big body girl named Abiola. Body mm -mm. yodi shape like cola. Back up, back up, bring it to the well, owner. I'm still up on the rose, could I left? Still chatting to my bros on the tank. Mm -mm. Fuck that man, I don't give a Ooh. F. Where you wanna get smoke cigarette? English, English girl named Fiona. African girl Adiola. Uh, some robust uh, agricultural language featured in there. Apologies to our listeners who are nervous disposition. I mean, we must say that, uh, you know, drill is a very gritty kind of genre. But, you know, I was doing my research. Apparently, this song is kind of more, uh, perhaps more palatable to the masses, you know, because it's not, you know, that gritty or, you know, because it's quite a controversial genre. A lot of people hate it and they say, oh, it should be banned or something like that. I mean, of course it shouldn't. But it's interesting that, you know, not only the Dutch, but the Australians are enjoying that as well. Mm. And the Irish. And what is it that makes drill exportable? Not what I was expecting to find on our tour of uh, the Low Country. I map. mean, that's perhaps not a question for me because, you know, I, I, I wouldn't listen to drill. But, you know, there's a younger audience that loves it, you know, and I think they did very well with that song, Body. Uh, not, it's not a sunshine track, though, perhaps. Uh, what about number four? Is there a few rays of sun alighting on the number four in the charts? In the very, night? very much so, actually. So, and they're also from the UK. In fact, the song we're going to hear now, uh, they sampled a song by the Nightcrawlers, Push the Filling On, from 92. It's a very upbeat track. And even during lockdown, a lot of people were listening to this. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're going to smile to this. This is Riton and Nightcrawlers, of course, featuring Mufasa and Hyperman with Friday. I think I remember that vaguely from the first time round for now. From 92, back Don't in give 92. my age away. He <laughs> chuckles behind the glass. But there. on the new update, you know, I spoke about Mufasa and Hyperman. They became social media stars last year. They did silly dances, you know, and everybody was really sad with coronavirus. So, you know, and then, you know, Riton and Nightcrawlers decide to invite them to join in the music and video as well. It's a very, very happy song. It's upbeat. It's a pseudo novelty track. That's what you're telling me. Exactly, exactly. Number four in the Netherlands. And the Dutch love it. Uh, what about number three? I have a lot of respect for to number three, I have to say. I mean, he was very controversial. I mean, a lot of people were talking about the video for that song where he lap dances with the devil, basically. I mean, of course, a lot Dear of me. Christians in America, they were not very happy. But I find he quite a brilliant artist, very fashionable as well. He's only 22. It's Leonas X with Montero, Call Me By Your Name. Cocaine and drink it with your friends You live in the dark, boy, I cannot pretend I'm not faced, only you to sin If you ain't in your garden, you know that you can Call me when you want, call me when you need Call me in the morning and you know why I respect him, Tom? Because, uh, you know, he released Old Town Road, which was number one in the US for months and months. And people say, I mean, he's going to be a one-hit wonder. Not the case. Look, look, he's back. And it's interesting. Is the, Do we generally see the Dutch charts specifically following a lot of these big international trends? Because we've been on a couple of crazy journeys, haven't we, in the last couple of weeks. And they're very esoteric, very market-specific. The Dutch seem to be buying into some of the big 
global pop music themes at the moment? It's a very open market for international music. I mean, uh, for, as you can see, you know, a lot of kind of even UK kind of drill and kind of electronic music as well. But, you know... We still have some Dutch tracks. Don't you worry, Tom. Okay. Don't you worry. Not a number two, though. Well, I was going to say, if we're talking about ubiquitous pop talents, this may be the the, the king of that particular roster. I mean, it's difficult to avoid uh, the guy, but I have to say I really like this track. It's a great R&B song that apparently Justin Bieber wrote to his wife, Hayley Baldwin, which... She's half Brazilian, you know, fun fact for you. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a song, you know, he writes, there's nothing like your touch. It's very romantic, a very mellow R&B. Uh, let's listen to it. Justin Bieber, Daniel Caesar and Givion with Peaches. I got my peaches out in Georgia. Oh, yeah, shit. I get my weed from California. That's that shit. I took my chick up to the north, yeah. Badass bitch. I get my light right from the source, yeah. Yeah, that's it. And I see you. So he's not, he's not talking about the soft fruit, is he? No. If I'm no, correct. No. Not my reading of this one. <laughs> it's a sweet song. I mean, perhaps not as sweet as our number one track. Uh, you know, and I was talking to, to a, a Dutch friend of mine. I say, I mean, who is he? Why is he so big? And he's a rapper and singer. His name is Nell. And, you know, it's interesting to him because he's got kind of a cleft lip, you know. And, and he was quite bullied about that. So he became a, quite a big pop star with a song called Scars. Uh, but now he's a kind of a household name in the Netherlands. And he's singing a song with uh, another Dutch singer called Mann and the song is Blijven Slapper uh, which according to my you know amazing translations is Stay Overnight uh, so again another quite romantic track one of the lines says I have my underwear my toothbrush perfume and my charger I think I might stay overnight I mean he got the whole package there right let's take a listen shall we Kom ik nog thuis of There are some interesting uh, differences in the parochial language. Slapper, very different meaning if you're on this side of the North Sea. Slapper here is when, when you slap someone? Oh, okay, I'll do my research later. Yeah, I think research it maybe on a private, on a personal Google rather than a work machine. Would we'll definitely do that. But uh, it's now a great guy. Now, here's a question for you, uh, Fernando, because time is short. Uh, can we read anything into the appetite, the style for Eurovision, given what we've heard in the top five, other things interlinked. We might see some Eurovision tracks, as you mentioned. How does it all mesh together in your in your view? Listen, it's interesting because, for example, indie tracks, like, for example, the Belgian track this year, which I don't think is going to win, those songs, they actually tend to do very well in the charts, even here in the UK. So not necessarily the winning song is the one that will get more streaming and better position in the charts. I mean, we have to wait and see who is going to win, right? Actually, the Dutch act is quite nice. I don't think he's going to win this year again. Uh, but, you know, next, next week we'll be back and see how, you know, if there are any Eurovision tracks in the top fives. And the clock is ticking down very briefly because the clock's against us. Uh, what's the next big thing to look out for Eurovision-wise? I mean, you're waiting for the, for the big weekend, right? I mean, Second semi-final as well today. I mean, we have, interestingly enough, the rapper Flo Rida joining the San Marino entry. It's going to be the first song of today's semi-final. I mean, that's, that's quite exotic and interesting to, to, to watch it. Does, Even, he, does he have a deep and meaningful <laughs> affiliation with San <laughs> Probably not, you know, but, you know, it's, it's a good thing to have it. I mean, it, 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 it might help then.
All we've got time on this week's edition of The Curator, the show was produced by San Impe and presented by me, Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Join us again next week to hear some of the very best of the programs here on Monaco 24. Thanks for listening. <laughs>